my approach now is thinking, how can I make this as accessible as possible? How can I make this behavioral science as accessible as possible to leaders and, and people in the workplace to support them in reaching their, their full potential and to recognize their humanity and be aware of what's going on around them and essentially having better mental health in the workplace. Hello everybody, for those of you tuning in, this is the second part of a conversation with organisational psychologist and general legend Ross McIntosh. So if you haven't already, it's worth going back to episode 14 to catch the first half of this conversation, or if you'd rather jump in at this point, please enjoy the show. We do tend to be really harsh on ourselves and be our own worst critics especially when, especially when you get to a more senior role because it's like now you've got to make bigger decisions which is going to um make those voices louder or the self-doubt and fear of failure and imposter syndrome uh, but now also you're going to put the pressure on yourself to think that you shouldn't have those things so they're getting louder and you think you shouldn't have them even more so it's this vicious cycle and i think it's why so many managers leaders business owners get burnt out i know that's why i got burnt out because i started pursuing my goals all these voices got loud that I didn't even know were there. I didn't know I had issues around money and confidence and self-worth. I didn't even know those things were within me, right? Until I owned a business and I started having to ask people for money and uh, um, ask people for reviews and, and 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 put a value on me and my services. So I didn't even realize I had these issues. And then I've got a business and all this stuff's getting loud. But I'm like, I can't have this stuff because I'm a business owner. And then it's just this horrible, vicious cycle that if you don't figure out how to break, you're going to get burnt out and emotionally exhausted. Uh and, and and luckily for me that I did that, not luckily I burnt out, but that led to me finding ACT, which I think has probably propelled my, my growth um, journey mm. tenfold. So we've talked about ACT, Ross, like it's um, some kind of secret chalice that you find for Indiana Jones is looking after. Um, and people probably go and tell me what this thing is. So give us an overview. So, so what was your module? What did you learn? What, what, what did you learn? How did you... How did that change your way of thinking, which then led to you doing more coaching? Mm. In one sentence, joke. You can use as many sentences as you like for that one. The, the, <laughs> that module, I think, but but my approach now is thinking, how can I make this as accessible as possible? How can I make this behavioral science as accessible as possible to leaders and, and people in the workplace? to support them in reaching their, their full potential and to recognize their humanity and be aware of what's going on around them and essentially having better mental health in the workplace. Yeah. So there's a, there's a few things. What, what's, what's behavioral science? What do you mean by that in, in, in its simplest of terms? Well, I think it's how we can use evidence-based research and apply it to our own behavior and i would break down act into three skills three simple skills that we probably weren't taught at school or in any sort of previous employment three skills from behavioral science how humans behave and what's motivating them to behave is how i describe behavioral science because without Without some kind of guidance, 
and support, we're probably not going to act in the way, not through malice, but we're probably not going to act in the way that naturally cultivates a great culture of high growth because it's just not how we're wired, right? We're all wired to doubt ourselves, to overthink, mm. to worry. We're, we haven't evolved to, 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 to naturally thrive in the business environment where we've got to make money and hit targets and, and please customers whilst maintaining balance and trying to um, get people to do stuff that makes them uncomfortable. Uh, you know, we just, I don't think that's part of our evolution. I think we've, I've said, I, I think we've evolved to, 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 to work through tough times together, but I think the the business environment is so unique to modern life that without some support, the reality is we're probably going to tread, tread on each other's toes more than we think we should get frustrated with each other, get in our own ways and struggle to do those three, those three things that you just talked about, which is, you know, realize your humanity flourish as an individual and have better mental health. Mm. So, um, so you said it's three skills. So, so it's three skills that enable those things. So if somebody came to me and said, Mike, if you learn these three skills, you can um, enjoy better mental health, move towards your goals and, and be the person you want to be uh, with, a, with, with a great environment around you. I'll be like, teach me those three skills, please. So what would you say they are? What are the three skills? Yeah. So I would call the first one noticing. There's some research from Harvard that says we can spend around 47% of our waking hours mind wandering. That means we're not thinking about what we're actually doing now. Our mind's off somewhere. 47%. And when I ask people in organizations, what do you think that figure will be? They always say something like 70%, 80%. They think the mind wandering will be more. But I think 47% is quite a lot. Mm. and if our mind is wandering it's not always healthy sometimes mind wandering is great we can we can conceptualize great ideas great art um develop great music or poetry yeah uh, creativity but sometimes the mind overreaches itself and we're in that autopilot because we're perhaps avoiding something or we're just gone into that disconnection We've just checked in everything at the front reception, gone to work like a robot. And they also found in this research that the wandering mind isn't always a happy mind. So how can we begin to notice more about what's going on around us? Because in a business sense, there might be opportunities. There might be threats for us to notice. We might need to notice how our team are doing. Is someone looking a bit down today? So there's noticing our environment around us. So noticing how we're showing up we don't always notice how we're showing up the impact we're having on each other or the impact we're having on ourselves so that's that's one of the skills i'd call noticing so has that got connotations with presence and mindfulness yeah absolutely and absolutely mindfulness is one way to to cultivate this, this skill of noticing and i think people often have a a misguided perception of what mindfulness is. It's helping us do that noticing. It's not, as some people might try and sell, it's not making our mind like a, a flat mill pond or emptying our mind of thoughts. Floating. Yeah, it irritates me when I hear people saying that because I, that's... I, I, I thought that, right? So I lived on monasteries after the army. I, I thought, right, I've got loads of bad stuff in my head. So if I go and live on monasteries, I'll figure out how to empty it and um, 
you know being bliss and <laughs> when i lived on monasteries and the, and lived with monks and they were basically taught me no mike that's not how it works it's basically you just you, you all that stuff stays in your head you just recognize it i'm like what yeah. <laughs> i didn't sign up for that it's hard um <laughs> yeah. yeah there's the rub so is that would you say that's a piece of raising your consciousness as well so so i think that we've got these this, this is the thing that people don't hear about right and i didn't hear about it till i was in the military and and, and we tend to think we are our thoughts and a lot of a lot of the the teaching process in Buddhism is that you're not your thoughts, and and if you were your thoughts, you wouldn't be able to recognize and see your thoughts. So you do this a lot of what mindfulness is is well, meditation is closing your eyes, focusing on breathing, and recognizing when you think something. And and one of the things they teach is that well, if you, if you recognize a thought as it's going past, so like, oh look, I'm thinking about work tomorrow. That thought's not you, and it's your consciousness that is recognizing the thought, mm. and it's raising that level of consciousness that helps you be a less what I would call reactive person, right? Because instead of just acting on how you're feeling or what you're thinking, you actually can can see that as something separate of you, something that you experience and then choose how you respond to it, which puts you much more in the in the um, driving seat of life. Mm. I think Stephen Covey did a good job of this as well, didn't he? You know, he said between stimulus and response, there is time. And I think the better you're, you are at noticing the better that the longer that gap is, which gives you the opportunity to think, how do I react to this situation as opposed to this situation is happening to me? Yeah, and this, th that quote's great. And I think it's also a, a similar one is attributed to Viktor Frankl, mm -hmm. who said something along the lines of between stimulus and response, there is a space. Maybe. And that space is our opportunity to choose our response. In our response lies our growth and our development and it's it's super powerful uh, that and Stephen Covey's approach is the time but it just it, that's even more powerful for me because Viktor Frankl was uh Austrian survivor, yeah. neurologist and holocaust survivor and he'd had every human freedom removed and he recognized he could still decide how he responded to that have you heard of the book Shantaram no good long novel uh loosely based on a true story uh, gregory robert davis i think is the author it's the he was the gentleman bank robber in australia so he used to rob bank rob banks but be really polite to people he was a, he was basically a um he got into heroin he had some bad things happen got into heroin had to rob banks but he didn't want to be a bad person so he was like polite when he was robbing the banks and, and what he did was he escaped and uh he escaped he got arrested he got he escaped the uh, australian prison and then got a plane to India and ended up living in the slums in India and creating a medical center and looking after people. But it's a it's a great book. It's a fantastic read. But at one point, he's being tortured in prison. He's being whipped against the, the board. And he says something along the lines of, in that moment, he realized that nobody other than him had control over his life because even though bad things were being done to him, it was ultimately up to him how he chose to respond to it. And I was like, whoa, that's that's deep and interesting. And it and, and Nelson Mandela says something similar similar in the road to the long road to freedom, right? It's like I it's I have the choice in in how I respond to what has been done to me, as opposed to letting it. I think he said on the way when he was walking out of the after being in prison for maybe like 26 years, essentially for being black, um, he said, I when I was walking to freedom, I knew that I had the choice to forgive them and move on with my life or stay angry with them and that would punish me for the rest of my life so again it's that 
how do we respond to the thing, not the thing that dictates? Yeah, it's 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 not the our suffering as humans doesn't come from the what I would call our unhelpful thoughts. It's how we respond to those unhelpful mm. thoughts. Yeah, exactly. Very a very powerful thing to learn. So for leaders and managers, for example, that haven't been in prison for life or um <laughs> put into the Holocaust or uh what was the other example we used there? Um being or or aren't being whipped in a prison in India. Um it's still equally as applicable, right? Because every day you're gonna have difficult situations, conflict, confrontation, you're gonna have to um, upset people, you're gonna have to address poor behavior, yada yada yada. And if you've got a level of noticing, then when those difficult feelings and thoughts and emotions arise, you have the choice in how you respond to them. But if you haven't, which I think most of us haven't, the difficulty, the, the, the uncomfortable thoughts or feelings arise and we go, do you know what? I'm not going to deal with that. I'm just going to. Yeah. Or, or we, we lash out or we're rude or we're aggressive to someone or just basic asshole. <laughs> I love that. Or just basic, what was the most technical term? Arsehole. Uh, <laughs> so, so we've got the noticing and perhaps we should ask a little bit in a moment about how it is that we think we can um, improve that. What's the next skill, Ross? Next skill is active. And Basically. I would describe this by, yeah, <laughs> it, well, it could lead to that. Yep. But active is how we can use our personal values as a as a guide using our personal values as like a beacon for our behavior how we really want to show up what would the best version of ross look like in this context that i'm in say i'm a leader what the best version of me look like because the best way we learn uh, as a social species is by observing each other mm. and i'm a leader so if people are looking at me, I'm like on the organizational catwalk, strutting my stuff, and people are looking at me going, oh, so that's how you do that. So that's how you respond in a crisis. So that's how you talk to each other. And really exploring and connecting with what has meaning and purpose for us. Oh, I would call personal values, um, the qualities we want to bring to our behavior on a, a regular basis in a particular context so how does that link to goals is that goals it's i would i would put a case it's different from goals i would say the way i would explain it is a goal implies a deficit and goal implies we're missing something we want to achieve something that we don't currently have yep the value is how how am i going to achieve that goal those steps i take towards that goal I could, I could behave in a particular way. And if I'm behaving in a way that really resonates and has meaning and purpose for me, then that's going to make that journey not easier necessarily, but it's going to make it more rewarding and more aligned and authentic with who we are as a person deep down. Okay, so it's being clear on on who you want to be as a person, not necessarily who you are, but who you want to be, and then pressurizing mm. yourself to um, respond to situations or move towards goals in line with those values, like using those values to guide you along the way. Yeah. So that you're role modeling the behaviors that are most meaningful to you, to yourself and to others. Yeah. Well, I, I would pick up on a couple of things that that are most meaningful to you. 
as a leader. Hopefully they might cause you to show up in a way that allows others to see and see the meaning shining out of you. But you said pressurizing yourself. I, I would say we're holding those values lightly because as a leader and as humans, beings in life, life is tough. And mm -hmm. if, we're, if we're castigating ourselves saying, oh, Ross, you didn't show up as the best version of yourself there in that meeting. You were a right plonker. And I think you've upset person X and Y. Then rather than beat myself up, think, well, what could I do now to try and put my values back in the in the driving seat? Let that beacon shine brighter. So what could I go and do now? Maybe I go and chat to those two people and explain or or maybe the next moment I can really do something that reflects my values. But it's not being too too hard on ourselves because we'll we're not saints and we never will be using this type of behavioral science act isn't going to turn everyone to saints who only ever just do the best version of themselves no um okay and there's a couple of things there so so one is the fascination that i have between the 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 growth of a high highly effective organization and a person right so if, we, if we're trying to set up a high effective team, then we we know you're going to need to have a vision and a mission, which is what we want to achieve. And you're going to need to have values, which is how we're going to compose ourselves as a team on the way towards that, that vision and that mission, which is almost an exact parallel to us as a human, right? It's like, well, you're going to have things you want to achieve, but your mm. values are going to tell you how you want to behave along the way. And that's what's going to make you feel good and attract the right people around you. So I find that very interesting, the, the parallel between a team and, a, and an individual. Um, this pressurizing piece then so i'm interested in that and uh in my mind i have it that in order for us to be the people that we want to be we're going to have to make ourselves uncomfortable and that's where for, for me the pressurizing piece comes from because i think the ease and i think this is where the challenges are in modern life i think the probably throughout our history we had limited choice on how comfortable we could be we had we had to do hard stuff because it was that or die Whereas today it's no, you don't have to do anything hard. You don't have to even talk to anybody if you don't want to. Like you don't even have to go through the difficulty of having interpersonal conflict anymore because you can just go on your phone, write stuff on social media, have food delivered to your house and just completely isolate yourself, which you and I both know is going to lead to you being quite unhappy. And I think our tendency is, is to go for what's easy unless we're clear on who we want to be. I think our tendency is, well, I'm just going to go for the, I'm not going to go to the gym. I'm not going to eat the healthy food. I'm not going to have the argument with Karen. I'm not going to have the difficult conversation with Steve. I'm not going to address that behavior because it's effort. Um, I'm not going to tell my partner how they've upset me because it's easy just to not say anything. And I think we do have this new challenge in life that it's just easy for us to just not do that hard stuff, which is always going to lead to us being unhappy. And I recognize this in myself a lot. I've, you know, it's something I'm constantly thinking about. Did I? Did I push myself to do the things that are actually aligned to my values today? Or did I get a bit lazy and make some excuses? And that's that's for me why I use the term pressure, because mm. I, do, I do think that. But then I also think, do I make the journey harder for myself than it needs to be? And that's certainly one of my flaws. Like I, I'm always pushing myself and never quite happy with anything. So it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think, say... having doing not doing the stuff like saying shall i go to the gym oh no i'll just order a pizza 
And have a biscuit. I know that's one of your favourites. Have a bit. Have a biscuit. Yeah. <laughs> Still not sponsored by any biscuit company. Um, but yeah, have a biscuit. Not, if you're listening. Yeah. <laughs> Ross is open to conversations with you. Yes, McVitie's. Please do to get in touch. And sometimes we're taking those urges, those short-term wins. That mm, hobnob. Yeah, that's lovely. And kind of we lost connection with the value of why the hell would I want to go to the gym? For me, I don't. So maybe I'll switch that to cycling. Why the hell would I go on my bike? The reason I go on my bike is for the joy of being out on a self-propelled machine and connecting with nature and seeing what's going on around me and seeing animals and trees and landscapes that are different each time. So it really helps me cultivate that sort of noticing, but it really connects with that that sort of joy of growing up, cycling around the village where I grew up on a bike that my dad had built for me. And just the pure joy of, of playing out and feeling the wind in my big hair. I had bigger hair than I have now. And just that pure joy and fun of being out on my bike. That's what really has the purpose and meaning for me. So do you think one of your values is joy? I never really thought of it as a value, but I can really see it there. I'm glad you asked this because you're making me think. I can really see that as a as a kid, the joy, the humor, the fun was is and is definitely a value, but calling it joy makes me think about it differently. I like that. Because when I think about myself and I think about my values and what drives me, I'm very driven and I always have been. And, and I know there's a part of me that's driven through um, uh, maybe a lack of self-worth. And, you know, this, there, there is a part of it that's like, you know, I need to justify myself. I need to make, I need to validate myself as a human. So that's a small part of it though. I know that's not my, my main driving force. And I know my main driving force is to, um, it, is I believe that I'm privileged to be born in a country that's that's wealthy. I believe that I'm privileged to, to be born into a healthy body, to have a mind that functions, to have the opportunities that I've got. And um, and I want to use that to, to make a difference. You know, I want to consciously think about the end of my life and I want to be able to look back and know that I did some good with my with my time here. I, I left it a little bit better than I found it. If I'm completely honest, I don't really have joy high up on my values. In fact, I'm very it's it's you know if you ask my partner it's an issue like we we i have to write a cadence calendar so that we actually go and do things that are fun because if i don't i just want to focus and, and grow and i actually enjoy it like I, I have definitely worked so hard that it's it's made me burnt out and i've learned that learned that lesson the hard way but i know i know i've made peace with i feel at my happiest and my most fulfilled when i'm really working hard and, and, and making progress on what's meaningful to me so i wonder if that's a I don't know if that's a flaw, but I wonder if this joy piece is either a value that you have or an essential part of what should be the healthy journey. I'm, I'm not sure. Yeah, I, I'd i say to folks out there, I think it's, it's like a constant journey of exploration, thinking what our values might be. And our values can change with different contexts in life. Mm. Yeah. But I'm really interested in this idea of joy. Because 
I used it a lot when I was talking about me on my bike as a child. And it brings me joy to go out on my bike, but it's it's actually getting up, getting out there, getting out the gate and starting off. And at that moment, that does feel quite joyful. You know, when I, that first rotation of the, the pedal, I'm like, hell yeah, did it. This yeah, morning it's, I didn't. It's having this that morning, option. It's having the option of laziness before, right? Which is a new thing, and that's yeah. But, and this morning I didn't go out on my bike. I lay in bed, kind of thinking, right, because I want to go out early before it gets too hot, and I want to go out early to really kick my day off. And I didn't go out, and I lay in bed, kind of making excuses. And then I thought, oh, what, what's your mind doing? Just make a choice. Because my mind was saying, oh, maybe you should stay in bed a bit longer. You've got quite a busy day and maybe you deserve a break. You've been out two days running. And I didn't. And kind of wish I had. Yeah. But there's no I can do about that now. So what can I do to reconnect with that? I'm going to experiment. I'm going to try using that that joy value. Yes. Yeah, I, I too can... I've relocated. I live in a different, I live in Spain. Yeah. Relocated in 2021. And sometimes I feel like I'm just doing the same hard work that I did back in the I, UK. I'm not to... enjoying all the delights and the culture and the food that this place has to offer me. I used to live in Australia and I met a lot of people over there that were traveling for a lot from the UK and they 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 emigrated over there, got themselves a job straight away and even though they're in a beautiful country, they were doing exactly the same as they were doing back in the UK and, and they went home because they're miserable. And yeah, it's very, it's very difficult, I think. And you've got to have a level of conscious awareness of what your values are and noticing in order to pull yourself out of that because I don't know, read, read top, top five regrets of the dying. Yeah. You don't want to get to the end of your life potentially and just not have done the things you wanted to do um, because you just felt you should be busy and working all the time which is definitely something for me to think about as well on, on my own level. Okay. So we've got uh, noticing, we've got active, we've got the active column. So be, know what your yeah. values are, explore your values and, um, and, and make a conscious effort to move towards them. And then yeah. the third um, skill is open. And I would, the strap line for that, I would call relating skillfully to your inner world, which sounds mm -hmm. a, might sound a bit woo woo. But what I mean is it's all that stuff that our mind is generating. And we're not broken if our mind is generating that stuff. Things like, I'm not clever enough. It's not going to work. It didn't work last time. Shall I just have a biscuit? I'm going to be discovered for the fraud and the charlatan that I am. Noticing all that stuff and not running away from it. Just noticing that that's part of my experience as a human. And like we've been saying, don't need to get rid of that. By bringing our noticing skills to that, we can notice the impact that has on us. And there is there are skills the way we can relate to that in a different way. So it doesn't have that dictator-like dictator-like impact on us. It's mm. not it's not controlling our life. It's not sabotaging our whole life. Because if I'm if I'm driven by a thought of I'm not clever enough or this isn't going to work, or you're going to look like an idiot or you must obey the boss, then that's going to mean I show up in a particular way and a way that I'll probably find a bit um, frustrating, 
bring me to a level of despondency, make me feel like, what's the bloody point? So it's kind of igniting that spark by relating to the stuff differently, allowing me to save some energy and attention to really try and start pursuing and taking small steps towards what matters. I read about the uh, reticular activation system. So if somebody in your family buys a yellow car, you're going to start noticing yellow cars everywhere because because your brain's looking for that pattern now. So if you're buying, if you're letting those voices be too loud, um, for example, I'm not very, I'm I'm not very intelligent, then your brain's going to look for patterns to confirm that as well. So it creates a vicious, it creates a um, beautiful, create it creates a vicious spiral of um, a self-fulfilling prophecy, I should say. So so you might do ten things in a day that show that you're actually quite intelligent. But then you might do one thing, like put a typo on a post or something, and then you go, look, your brain's like looking for that pattern. It's it's disregarded everything else, like it doesn't notice all the cars, it only notices the yellow ones. And then it looks to confirm the narrative, which is, yep, you are stupid, look, there's your typo. I love the way you explain that, Mike. It's, it's beautiful. It's like we're looking through a lens that's going to prove that I'm an idiot. Mm. I'm stupid. So things people say to me, they might say to me, hey, really like that report you gave me really liked your style and your tone how do i interpret that she didn't like it <laughs> she thought my tone was that of a, a village idiot and yeah. you know how we just and nothing it was in there that suggests that but maybe a a, a raise of an eyebrow or a, a flicker across a face makes me think that yep yeah, there's some more evidence that you're an idiot mate why why do you think why do you think the the human mind does all of this? Why does it why does it create unhelpful thoughts and emotions? Why do those mo thoughts and emotions try to sabotage us from being in line with our values and moving towards what's important to us? Because it's obviously creating a lot of misery, right? It's obviously creating mm -hmm. a lot of depression and creates a lot of challenges for managers and leaders, creates a lot of challenge for, for people in life in general. Why do you think it does that? I think it's how the brain has evolved. I think it's trying to keep us safe. Don't put your head above the parapet because it'll get shot off. Mm. So essentially, when we lived in caves, the mind was more or less just a don't get killed machine. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, Ross, if you go skipping out of the cave, you're going to get eaten by the lion that's just hiding behind that rock. Yeah. So our, we live in very different contexts now, but our mm. minds are still flagging all these things. So the mind was really don't get killed, but fulfill your basic needs. And if you mm. think about the day, if you think about life today, it's like you you can you can not get killed and fulfill your basic needs without even leaving your house or speaking to anybody. And that's not going to lead to a good place. Beautiful. But is, yeah. But it is going to lead to you getting your basic needs. And the same in the workplace, right? It's like, look, you can avoid all of this confrontation you don't have to have it in fact we'll actively encourage you not to because we've got things like mental health that are talked about now and um employees taking sickness and, and high levels of resignation and it's difficult to recruit so don't don't engage in any of that conflict just keep everybody happy and um avoid that and just fulfill your basic needs get paid and do what's required of you which makes work miserable right <laughs> yeah don't have those conversations as a leader that might help someone grow and develop just do the basics continue letting them stagnate and then 10 years down the line when someone does try and have those conversations about hey have you thought about this have you thought about the impact you're having have you thought about how you could develop 
they'll be like how very dare you <laughs> i'm brilliant everyone just always tells me i'm really great or or satisfactory and people don't aren't looking to grow but when someone tries to support them uh, probably react with fear yeah so so i'm a i'm a leader or a manager i'm listening to this podcast and and what you've explained about the mind and about these three mm. different skills and i'm thinking do you know what that would actually be really useful to me i recognize that um my mind gets in the way a lot that i um can't do the things that i want to do or hold back from doing the things that i want to do because of m many of the issues that you've talked about um i get fear maybe when i'm thinking about addressing a difficult situation so i get that gets in the way of my values i don't even know maybe what my values are where can i begin to start utilizing this to help me be a more effective uh, leader of people hmm well you could come to someone like me or mike to to develop an intervention for you either one-to-one -one stuff or, or team intervention to help you have the best chance of cultivating these skills for yourself or your people you could read books um i started off with the happiness trap by yeah Russ Harris, I love, love, love that book yeah which i think is a a great work and i would encourage rather than going to sort of technical leadership stuff i'd encourage people to go with that first to start practicing on themselves i think act is a very experiential thing it's it's practicing these skills and thinking could this help me and then start unlocking how that could support you as a leader um so there, there are a couple of things obviously listening to the the people suit podcast is always a winner so if i if i was um if i was working with you now ross and i've got a conflict going on with somebody in my business so uh mm. person i work with i'm completely making this up by the way person i work with um they are doing things in a way with customers that i don't think is aligned to our values it's really upsetting me i know it's wrong it's been going on for three months and i'm i i, I know i should address it but i'm putting it off because i'm number one I can't be bothered with the conflict. I'm fearful of the conflict. And number two, I'm worried that the world's going to collapse if I have a difficult conversation with my business partner. If you had your act hat on, hmm. where would you, where might you start with me? Well, I'd, I'd probably hone in on that context. I'd probably say to you, Mike, so we're, we're dealing with this, this, this conflict with Bob. Bob's behaving in a way that's not um aligned with how you want your business to be mm -hmm. you're the leader and he might be impacting negatively on clients and perhaps the, the whole business that you're creating yep so i'd really hone in on that context and say well how do you want to be in that conversation with bob what would the best version of mike look like okay so i would think in my mind i want to be professional um i want to be confident i want to be um articulate i want to be able to put my point across and not and ideally not get frustrated and um 
Yeah, so I'd, I'd like to be calm as well. So professional, calm, artic and articulate. Yeah. And confident. Yeah. Right. So that's that's what the best version of you would look like in this in this scenario with Bob. Now, we know how the mind works. If you're thinking about that's how I want to be, there'll be other stuff, that stuff our mind generates that will be less helpful. So what unhelpful stuff is showing up for you when you think about this specific context of that conversation with Bob? So I'm thinking about thoughts, emotions, yeah, so memories, I, I, urges. I'd be feeling anxious um, and nervous about it. I think it's going to lead to an argument. Um, so I'd be ready for ready for kind of conflict, um, like loud verbal conflict. Um, I don't think there's, I'd be worried there's not going to be, he's not going to take it well. Bob's not going to take it well. So mm. it's going to lead to an ongoing rift between us and the future. He's got, you know, he's involved in the business. So it could affect, you know, my mind would go into catastrophe. I mean, what if he then goes and speaks to the clients and, you know, goes into all worlds of, ridiculousness about this what could happen in this situation so so some of it might be valid some of it might be valid some of it might be just absolute nonsense mm. so kind of you're feeling the anxiousness mm. you're thinking he's gonna kick off and yeah. cause sort of untold damage like a sort of disaster movie yeah he's gonna go full-on loco and attack you talk to clients, make it even worse, make it even more disruptive. Yep. So that's all, this is all going on in your inner world. So there's that unhelpful stuff. And then there's how you'd like to be a professional, confident, articulate and calm. So let's look at how that inner world impacts how we show up in the, the real world, the world of behavior. So if you were really paying attention and focused on the unhelpful stuff like I'm feeling anxious. He's going to kick off. He's going to start saying even more unhelpful things to the clients about me and the business. What might I see you doing in the real world? So I would avoid the conversation, which, which you know, in this scenario, I'm saying I've done for three months already. That makes me resentful towards this person. So I'm starting to kind of be a bit passive aggressive and make little comments which aren't aligned to, to, to how I want to be. Um, I start feeling demotivated in general for, for work. Uh, I'm not excited for the future because I've just got this cloud of ugh, hanging over me. Mm. So yeah, I'm less motivated, um, not being particularly, not being as nice as I'd like to be. Um, yeah. So not showing up as the best version of you and that's going to impact on the rest of your team. Yeah, certainly. And what I find fascinating is how that is, and start it's like the opposite of how you want to be right it's almost exact exact yeah. it's almost the exact opposite and it's by noticing that we're, we're kind of unpicking this it's by noticing that that you can start to recognize when you're showing up as that not the best version of mike so let's think about going back to those how you'd like to be professional confident articulate and calm what could you really do thinking again about this conversation with bob that would bring those values to life in preparation for that conversation? So I suppose if I wanted to be like that, I would have to be clear on 
the different potential outcomes that I'd be happy with and unhappy with and work through them before the conversation. So I've, I've actually thought about it. So I'm not being caught off guard. I'd have to have a bit of a plan for how I choose to respond in the right way. If the, if Bob um, is a bit of an arsehole, <laughs> if Bob starts kicking off, uh, I'd have to set in a time to actually have this conversation and then also think about, you know, the long-term ramifications and how I'm, how I'm going to, with them so i guess it's just being prepared right if you want to be calm in that situation you've got to be prepared and, and put some mm. time into it so what i'm getting just i'm picking what you're saying so taking the time to prepare um thinking what your core messages are for bob thinking about how he might possibly respond without getting caught up in the ninety-seven thousand different ways he might respond yeah in my experience of being Someone who's worked in organizations a long time and worked with loads of leaders, and I've been a, a leader myself. There's always the unexpected that will happen. Mm. It's always that, a bit like that, tales of the unexpected. Planning is essential, but plans are useless, right? Yeah. So it's it's getting more comfortable. I'd even suggest maybe you want to just rehearse this mm. a little bit. Yeah. Just to maybe feel the experience of those words coming out of your mouth to get the conversation going. And I guess also, I'd suggest knowing that it's not, it's going to feel uncomfortable. Yeah. And that's okay. Yeah. And like you said, thinking about the long term outcomes of not doing it, it's going to affect the team, it's going to affect the clients. So, so it's also accepting that as well. I think it's a vital, mm -hmm. it's a vital part because I think you've got to convince the conscious part of your brain, the, the logical part of your brain that it's not okay to avoid this because the logical part of your brain is making a, and I'm sure it will, a very rational argument for why you could avoid this thing. You, the temptation is there to avoid it. But if you then work on that and you say, well, no, even on a rational level, this is going to lead to bad things down the future. Um, then, then it's again, putting more onus on you to actually go about and address this. Mm. So how, how does that feel? Just talking through that hypothetical scenario it completely changes it doesn't it you, you know, i go from feeling like it's uh this vague thing that's uncomfortable to having a to seeing perhaps it's probably not as bad as i thought and having a plan so i actually feel like i know how i'm going to make progress now I've, I've taken it away from being this vague thing to having a kind of roadmap to getting mm. past this thing which i suppose is a microcosm of what of what act is right it's it's the same thing for life yeah and it's it's knowing that things might go pear-shaped and you having that conversation is a real representation of who you want to be and your values. It's not easy. That that moving towards who you'd like to be is not easy. It'd be much easier to sit at home, be a grumpy old sod and have a biscuit. <laughs> and uh, oh, this is something that I always stipulate because my company's called better happy right and one of the things i always say at the beginning is happiness isn't easy like it's if you want to be happy you want to you want to live a fulfilled life and that's going to require discipline and effort it can be very rewarding and enjoyable but it's also going to be hard and challenging and the nature of life is is that it should be challenging and without the challenge we'd just be floating and uh, amoebas wouldn't we so i think it's so powerful this process because we've just talked there about how to understand and approach a small conflict with somebody in a mm. team and that might seem like a trivial thing but every time you do that you teach yourself that you are 
capable of getting through a difficult thing and moving towards your values. And the more that's life, right? The, the better you are at that, the more confidence you've got in your ability to move through difficulty and make progress towards the values, the better your life's going to be. The more you're going to achieve, the better you're going to feel about yourself. And I think so much, so many of the challenges that people face in their mental health, whether it's in work or not, comes down to that. People, if people had belief in themselves to, to move towards their values, they'd live good lives. They wouldn't want to abuse alcohol. They wouldn't want to use drugs. They wouldn't want to go on their phones for 15 hours a day. They, they, would, they would focus on their goals. Why would anybody not want to move towards their goals in the environment in which we live today? Because they don't believe in themselves, because they're scared of the conflict, mm. because they don't think they're capable of moving through it. So this is as applicable at a management position as it is in a senior leadership position as it is for, for a teenager, in my opinion. Mm. As it is in, in life in general, life outside of work, relationships, your leisure time, your whole health, your relationship to your own health. If we can just make 10% of the people more confident in making progress towards their values, I think you'd have a transformational impact on the health, happiness and productivity of society. I, I love it when you articulate it like that. I've heard you say this before, and I think it's so powerful when you say this. Well, I just, makes... I'm, I, I, I've had my own issues. I used to abuse alcohol when I was in the military. Um, I've been in trouble, you know, more times than I care to admit. Mm. I've done lots of work with addicts um, for a charity in Birmingham. I've got friends that are recovered addicts that run charities and businesses now. And whenever I'm working, I work with, I've worked done lots of work with, um, and when I had the gym with um, pre-offenders and, and uh, low-risk offenders and high-risk offenders, and I would confidently say that 90% of the issues people struggle with and that keep them stuck in these horrible positions, and myself included, whether being idiots, getting in trouble, not being nice people, abusing substances, mm. it comes down to this. They don't believe in their ability to move towards what they want in life, so they just try to... Um, self-medicate through, through through drugs through poor behavior whatever else it might be and if they just believed in themselves more they just have built their self-confidence um, and their ability to move towards what's important to them they'd stop doing those things <laughs> it's 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 no more complex than that and i mm. it, it baffles me how how little we have these conversations and it's and it's when we're caught up in that stuff that's unhelpful if someone is is thinking i can't change my life i don't have that agency to to do that i'm a, i'm useless i'm a failure and they take action to to mute that that's so unbearable to experience that low self-worth mm. that they might uh turn to alcohol or drugs or computer games, behavior games. Yeah. yeah whatever it might be and and what i think is important for people to recognize is that not dealing with the conflict with the person at work is just the same as the person that doesn't believe in their ability to improve their life. It's just on a different scale. You know, mm. I, the work I do, I can't remember the percentage, but a significant amount of, of addicts. Um, I've had childhood trauma, lots of like, bad childhood, bad childhood, mm. childhood trauma. And um, I, from working with them, I've gained a lot of insights into this. And, and um, you know, my, my childhood trauma is my parents broke up and I had an absent father really. And, but, he was still around just not on a daily basis so it wasn't a trauma to be honest and and that was enough for me to be a bit of an idiot drink too much get in trouble do silly things when i hear about what's happened to many of these addicts in their childhoods i'm like jesus christ like if i if i 
had been through that, I think I would be in the same situation, if not worse. So it's it's just them struggling to deal with their own issues as it is anybody else, whether it's a fear of conflict or a lack of belief in yourself to be a good human being. It's just, it's the same thing. It's that lack of self-belief. It's listening to the negative voices, letting them take over getting, and, and then um, uh, not being loyal to your value system that creates problems. And it can be a little problem with a conflict with a person in work, or it can be you not getting off your ass and going to work and, and getting stuck into drugs and alcohol. So it's the same situation on a different scale. So mm. um, if we can build this skill, you're going to be a better manager, a better leader. You're going to be able to coach your kids, teenagers, your staff, whatever it might be. And I think the, the beauty of ACT is it takes the complexity out of behavioral science and all of the, all of the, all of the expertise that, 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 that someone like yourself has got and gives you a framework where it's like anybody can, anybody can use this to, to, to benefit themselves and others. Mm. Yeah. And it's a flexible framework that people have. It's not saying you must fit into this box. You must be this type of leader. It's you can be the leader you want to be. And that, yeah, that's, that's another so, thing I love about that. Yeah. And, and you mentioned earlier about like leaders going into that, the technical skills of being a leader. And it's like, well, well I think that stuff's overplayed to be honest. I'm like, look, you do, there's no textbook on how to be a leader, but but there's guidance on how to be the, the the true version of yourself and to do that with confidence and clarity and, and deliberation. And, and, and that's going to make you a good leader. And that's psychological skills, not, not this course or that course. It's like figure out yourself and how to. Yeah. I think those, those models or those books or approaches can be unhelpful sometimes because leaders are trying to cram themselves into this framework that doesn't really reflect who they are or thinks that's the only way they can be. It's like when people try and copy gurus. Yeah. Like, oh, this guru sleeps in an oxygen tank, wakes up, has six egg whites, and then <laughs> meditates for three hours. Yeah. It's like, well, if I do that, I'm going to earn a gazillion pounds just like him. It's like, yeah. no. No, what's going to make you more, what's going to make you the most successful, whether that's financially or just in a, in a rewarding framework, is being in line with your values, right? It's, mm. it's knowing who you are as an individual and following your own path and having the confidence to do that. And yeah, take advice and guidance from other people, but don't, try to change who you are to fit into a mold because that's never going to work. And I think a lot of us do that. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Well, what a dive into, into act and into your story and into how we can use those skills to um, make our lives better and make our businesses and teams and cultures and environments better. And also like why it's important. I think we had a really good kind of um, deep dive into why it's important and um where we're at in society so i think anybody listening is going to have certainly got some value from that and some some tips and advice that they can utilize into their own lives and teams and businesses how would people go about getting in contact with you ross if they wanted to find out more um i am all over the socials and i'll give you all those links to to put alongside this um but yeah and your business site is um people Soup. Yeah, but you can find our website at rossmackintosh.co.uk. Ross. Cool. So we'll make sure that those are in the show notes. Uh, please do connect with Ross. He's so forthcoming. Um, great guy to chat to. And um, I'm, I'm sure if you want to learn more about this, Ross will be more than generous to, to help you out and potentially do some work with you and your team. Thank you so much for coming on ross it's always a pleasure talking to you and i'm excited to put this out into the ether thank you mike it's always a an absolute joy to talk to you so really really appreciate the opportunity my pleasure thanks ross